Italian Wine Podcast. Chin Chin with Italian Wine People. This podcast is brought to you by Native Grape Odyssey. Native Grape Odyssey is an educational project financed by the European Union to promote European wine in Canada, Japan, and Russia. Enjoy. It's from Europe. Welcome to another special episode of the Italian Wine Podcast. My name is Monty Walden, and today we are hosting once again Professor Attilio Scienza. Attilio is a famous vine genetics scholar, and he serves as the chief scientist of the Vinitaly International Academy. Today's show is dedicated to two iconic wines from Piemonte. No prizes for guessing what they are, of course, Barolo and Barbaresco, both of which come from the same indigenous grape variety, Nebbiolo. Welcome, Professor Scienza. Good morning to the listeners of the Italian Wine Podcast. Good morning, Monty. So why are Barbaresco and Nebbiolo considered so important and why does the Nebbiolo vine perform so well in the Lange? Is it soil conformation, geology, topography, climate, the vine itself or a successful combination of all of these factors? The territory of the Lange, which derives from a Celtic and then Latin word and which defines a crest, a narrow and elongated territory, is certainly an example of how the soil and climate conditions have become the foundation for the quality of this wine. The quality, or we can say the fame and sensory characteristic of these wines, Barolo and Barbaresco, are linked to many factors, but in essence they have a long history, a history made up of many experiments. They are the result of a long journey that Nebbiolo has made, not only from a viticultural and enological point of view, but also from a cultural one. The characteristics of these modern wines are very different from those wines of the early 1800s or late 1700s, and, of course, their reference model was a Burgundian model which inspired the first wines of the new period of production. How has the geology and topography of the region changed over time? What are the most common soils found in the vineyards of Barolo and Barbaresco? Barolo and Barbaresco are very particular territories because they are at the bottom of what is called the Tertiary Po Valley Basin, which was formed when the Alps were formed as a result of pressure from Africa on Europe. The Alps had left a strong depression in the front of them, which was then filled by the Adriatic Sea. The Adriatic Sea reached the present territory of Barolo and Barbaresco, and with its presence caused important accumulations of marine origin sediment. However, other soils have also developed on top of this marine source material, which are of a terrigenous origin, as they say, fleche. This is the result of the demolition of the Apennines and the Alps surrounding the tertiary Po Valley Basin. This has led to the creation of very different soils in terms of the physiochemical composition, where layers of sand alternate with layers of clay. Therefore, the geological phases, which are numerous and alternating throughout the tertiary era, have created very different conditions, which are identified in some types of soils. Examples might include the clays of Sant'Agata, which are those of La Mora, where their blue clays are characterised by very heavy structure, which in turn translate into wines referred to as having great structure. Or, with the soils that derive from Tortonian, this is also a tertiary geology. However, where the sandy aspects prevail, and therefore the soils give rise to more elegant wines, they are more fragrant, but with a lesser structure than that of the more clay soils. 
It is a great mix of climatic and pediological characteristics that gives rise to a wine where only the Nebbiolo vine is found. So what has the greatest influence on the character of Nebbiolo? Altitude or appearance? These marine sediment deposits and other deposits, so to speak, originating from the landslides that derived from the Alps and the Apennines, have been affected by the processes of erosion and accumulation in different ways. Naturally, these processes of erosion have created valleys with different exposures and have uncovered, through the phenomena of erosion, a whole series of horizons where the presence of clay and sand interact with altitude and exposure. A very large number of vineyards are therefore created, which we can define as crew, where the soil and environmental components interact to give rise to very different wines. Naturally, Nebbiolo lends itself magnificently to this interaction. It is a vine that is very sensitive from the point of view of interaction with the soil and climate conditions. And this interaction manifests itself. It expresses itself in very different wine characteristics. There are not many varieties that are so sensitive to interactions, perhaps Sangiovese, perhaps Alianico, but in Italy there are few that are able to capture these subtle environmental differences, thereby expressing very special aromatic profiles. There are, of course, aspects linked to the climate, and therefore to the altitude of the various vineyards. There are aspects linked to exposure, and here, of course, sori have a particular role to play. These are the top parts of the hills and have been strongly affected by erosion. We can imagine the territory of Barolo and Nebbiolo as a quadrilateral crossed by a river, and the two sides of this quadrilateral are profoundly different. On the one hand, more clay soils, and the other, lighter soils and this naturally gives rise to very different wines. It is not only the geological composition that makes the difference, but also the climactic conditions. Climatic as in altitude, as well as the exposure. These help to make these sori. These are the determining and discriminating elements of these quality peaks. Sori wines, at least in the past, now with climatic change things are not as severe as then, were the lands where the grapes ripened better, and therefore where the wines had a higher level of alcohol and structure. What effect does the structure type and pH of the soil have on the choice of rootstock for Nebbiolo as regards the expression of the vine, the taste of the wine, its colour, its ageing potential? Well, these different soil characteristics force the winemaker to make very careful choice of rootstocks. They are not soils that have great limiting problems. We do not have so much active limestone to determine the problems of chlorosis. We do not have soils that are too clay or too sandy, which can cause problems like root asphyxiation or lack of water during the summer. The choice of rootstock is determined, above all, by the balance that the vine grower wants to have in his vineyard. Therefore, in the looser soils, the more sandy the soil is, he would choose slightly more vigorous rootstocks while in the more clay and naturally cooler soils, in the sense that they better maintain humidity during the summer, he would choose slightly weaker rootstocks. The main rootstock is 420A. It is certainly the rootstock that guarantees that the Nebbiolo has the best balance, making the most of the soil and climate conditions of the denomination. However, there are other rootstocks that are used in very special cases, such as SO4, where the soils are less fertile and therefore need greater vigour and perhaps even greater precociousness if the vineyard is located at a higher altitude. Then we have some cases where greater tolerance to drought is required in looser soils. In the more exposed soils, Perhaps in this case, the 110 Richter would be better suited. So before planting a vineyard, what steps must wine growers take to make that successful? 
Replanting is always a very complicated operation because of the consequences, very often, that the previous vineyard has on the new vineyard. The vine is not a plant that suffers the vine is not a plant that suffers from soil fatigue. It is not a plant that produces toxins or substances that may interfere with the new vineyard. However, it is necessary when replanting to clean the vineyard very well, ensuring the removal of remains of existing plants. Then remove all the roots and if possible, leave the soil free from each plant for a couple of years. In this case, in these two years, cereals and legumes are grown, which can be very important precisely to restore the quantity of important organic matter and restore the soil to biological life. The organic substance is perhaps the crucial element in replanting because the vineyard has occupied the land for 20-30 years and is a vineyard that has exhausted not so much the soil and mineral elements but the biological life and of course the organic substance. This must be regenerated with manure if possible which is not always easy to get, even if some winemakers have very wisely organised themselves to raise livestock, not so much to obtain meat or milk, but to obtain manure. This is a fundamental element to restore continuity to viticulture in these territories. Of course, the important and critical element is the choice of rootstock. The 420A, for example, cannot be used in replanting because it suffers from soil fatigue. What are the pitfalls for wine growers in the cultivation of Nebbiolo? For example, the stress caused by excessive heat or the abundant harvest, and also considering things like Botrytis cinerea or grey rot, downy mildew or Paranospora, Oidium, which is powdery mildew, and Esca. Well, Nebbiolo is a fairly rustic grape variety from the point of view of its response to climate change and to fungal adversities. It is a vine, however, which must be treated in a special way to ensure that the grapes ripen regularly. In the meantime, the bunch must never be removed excessively to prevent radiation from causing injury or burn damage due to excessive sunlight. Therefore, Nebbiolo is grown with a large crown, which is also the basis for a very high production of sugars. Given the need for this vine to be rich in sugars, as well as to have an alcoholic wine that can be preserved during aging. The other important thing is to avoid an excess of vegetation because this could be conducive to the development of botrytis during the period of maturation during the autumn. And here, fertilization plays a crucial role. Therefore, we must be very careful about fertilization, which must be balanced, but must not cause forcing. This is not only negative for the quality of the product and therefore the intrinsic quality of the wine, but also for the sensitivity that the plant can have in the face of diseases. It is a vine that is quite sensitive to powdery mildew, less so to downy mildew, and has a good sensitivity to esker. Fortunately, however, it is not very sensitive to the golden flavescence, which is currently a great problem for winemakers. They cultivate Barbera in a particular way, and therefore, from this point of view, it is quite immune to the adversities that cause serious damage in Piemonte. What are the genotypes and phenotypes of Nebbiolo, and which ones are found in Barolo? Well, the genetic history of Nebbiolo is very complicated because it is a vine that is cultivated not only in the Borolo area, but also in western Piemonte, in the area of Gemme and Gattinara, and also in Valtellina. The name Nebbiolo is not linked to the word fog, as was thought in the past. It was thought that this vine loves fog for harvest. It is a very late vine. It is probably linked to the old names of Nebbiolo in different places. For example, the Spanna in the area of Novara and in the area of Valdosola, 
which is a small valley, but which has very ancient viticulture with the name of Prunette. What do the words Prunette and Spanner mean? Well, they have an important semantic meaning because they make us understand that the name of Nebbiolo derives from the attribution that the ancients had given to this vine by tying it to spontaneous plant by tying it to a spontaneous plant, the Prunus spinosa, which has very dark berries, but is covered with very light bloom, which gives this idea of grey on the berry. Then Prunette is the calling card of this plant, and Spana comes from the word Spionia. Spionia is an ancient name of a variety cultivated in the Po Valley in Roman times, as described by Marshall. But in fact, the Prunus spinosa is also linked as the origin of the name. Therefore, Spionia is from Prunus spinosa. In fact, the population of Nebbiolo is genetically quite articulated for these three great origins. We do not have a very precise pedigree on its origin, but we know that in its DNA are preserved many varieties, some cultivated in Valtellina, some in Alba, some in Novara. So this vine is really the result of a series of spontaneous crossings that took place involving the vines of these three areas. The Buberasco is probably the vine that brought most of the DNA. Over time, the tradition of Borolo and Barbaresco has isolated some biotypes that were qualitatively very different, including Rosé, which is not a pure Nebbiolo but a cross. The other two biotypes that were cultivated, Miquette and Lampia, were considered variously qualitative. Usually Miquette was preferred because of the small size of the bunch and therefore for a better capacity of accumulation of anthracyanins and sugars. With the clonal selection and rehabilitation of these clones from viruses, people realised that the morphological and productive differences of these types of Nebbiolo were deeply linked to the presence of a virus which is responsible for the foliar curl that caused a substantial change in the morphological characteristics of these biotypes. When these biotypes were healed so that they could be homologated, otherwise they could not be homologated as clones, all these differences practically disappeared. Apparently, there are many Nebbiolo clones produced by both the University of Turin and by the CNR Centre, and also by some nurserymen who have really offered the wine growers genetic material of the highest quality in recent years. Let's talk about pruning. How is Nebbiolo pruned in Barbaresco and Barolo? Is it spurred cordon or cane pruned to guillot? And why do growers make the choices that they do? Nebbiolo is a very vigorous vine with a low basal fertility that needs to be mature with a very developed foliage because it has a long internodes. So the choice made by the Alba wine growers is quite compulsory. In the meantime, rather long distances of rows are necessary. 2.2 meters, 2.4 meters, 2.5 meters, both to guarantee good mechanization, but also because it is essential to have very high canopies. If I were to have very narrow rows, very high canopy must be avoided in order that the canopies do not shade the nearby row. So if I want to have very high canopies, I must have rows with proper distances. The second thing is related to the fertility of the buds, being a vine with distal fertility. I would not be able to adopt a spur pruning cordon, but would adopt guillot pruning with a fairly important distance between the rows, not below 90 centimetres or a metre. Because, as I have said, having very long vine internodes, if I had to keep them at 7 to 8 internodes, I must have important distances between plants. It is a vine that normally produces many females, which also needs very special management of the foliage to ensure a balanced development of the leaves throughout the period of maturation. 
So I have to develop some females very early so that these guarantee a good supply of sugar to me after varesum. But I have to avoid a whole series of selvages that could eliminate these very active leaves. To do this, many wine growers of Alba do not grapple, but wrap the apical parts of the canopy and the females along the last thread in order to create a kind of capanna, or hut, as it is called, to avoid the loss of canopy in the final parts of maturation, being that the Nebbiolo is a vine that ripens very late. More and more wine growers in these areas are embracing organic or even biodynamic practices. Is Nebbiolo an easy grape for organics? And if not, what are the pitfalls? It is a fairly easy grape in the sense that it has good tolerance to downy mildew and therefore it acts better with copper without having any side effect. It is more sensitive to powdery mildew, but here the possibility of using sulphur allows the organic option to proceed without problems. As for the insects, they can be used as tools, let's say, very modern sexual dissuaders for the moth above all, so there is no need to fight pests with synthetic products. As far as botrytis is concerned, the best thing is prevention, which is adopted through balanced vigour in the plants and with flaking near the bunch only at the end of the ripening period to allow the branches to have aeration and not to have an accumulation of humidity, which could be conducive to the development of botrytis. Naturally, organic wine growing requires subline processing and this is perhaps the most expensive and longest operation. It does not allow the use of herbicides and even the fertilisation must be done with organic products and not synthetic products. Okay, Professori, this is the $64 million question. Can we get you to say if you prefer Borolo or Barbaresco? No, but it's almost a mandatory question at this point. As always, it is very difficult to give you an answer to this because the articulation of the qualitative offer within Borolo and Barbaresco, even if less in the latter case, is such that the choice is not between either Borolo or Barbaresco, but on which Barolo, which Barbaresco. And here are, I must say, the two great schools of thought. Those who produce a traditional Barolo using only old wood, thus producing wines that are quite tannic, but long-aged, structured, or this new Barolo's boys trend, which instead uses barrique and large barrel. Here, two completely different wines are born. Those with the use of barrique are softer, perhaps closer to an international taste, almost to a Burgundian taste. But of course, the choice of these wines depends a little on the market. Barbaresco, on the other hand, is a slightly more traditional wine, even if, as the unanimous opinions say, it is slightly more feminine as a wine. Also, because of being produced on Tortonian soils, these are light soils, they are sandier soils, and therefore Nebbiolo is much gentler from a compositional point of view and gives softer, more perfume, and gives softer, more perfumed, and I would even say easier to drink wines. If I may express my opinion, I prefer the Barolo that come from Lamora, the Barolo of the more clay areas, the Barolo of the more clay areas, that come from the areas a bit higher than the Barolo of lower altitudes, but vinified in a traditional way, where the interaction between tradition and innovation allows for wines of great elegance, but also great power. Okay, Professori, what are your thoughts on food and wine matching with Barolo and Barbaresco? Well, Piedmontese cuisine offers such a range of foods you would be spoilt for choice. Of course, they are wines that are not very suitable for aperitivos, appetizers or first courses, except perhaps with first courses where the foundation provided by the source 
is created with roast meat. These wines are for meat dishes, such as stews of game like hare or pheasant. Maybe a Barolo would be ideal for jugged hare, as it is made in the area, and Barbaresco would be better for a pheasant or feathered game. Okay, I want to thank Professor Attilio Scienza for talking in depth about two iconic Piemontesi wines and their fantastic great Nebbiolo. Thank you very much again, and we hope to host you again soon to continue to learn more and more about Italian wine. Thank you very much, Professor. It's been brilliant. Thank you. Thanks to you all. And of course, goodbye until our next meeting. Have a nice day. This podcast has been brought to you by Native Grape Odyssey, discovering the true essence of high-quality wine from Europe. Find out more on nativegrapeodyssey.eu. Enjoy. It's from Europe. Follow Italian Wine Podcast on Facebook and Instagram 